We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The hottest next tape you'll find online. Next all day. We bleed blue and orange. This is Knicks Fan TV, your one-stop shop for the ultimate New York Knicks fan experience. News, rumors, debates, post-game live streams featuring live callers. Let's go Knicks, baby! And now, your host, CP, the NY Fanatic. All right, here we go. Salute to Knicks Nation. We got a special edition of Knicks Fan TV presented by KnicksFanTV.com. We are just about at the midway point with these Knicks. And look, the season has been filled with some bright spots and certainly some low spots as well. So I wanted to touch on some of the key storylines of where we are right now with the Knicks with Fred Katz, man. He does a great job of covering the Knicks for The Athletic. Fred, how you doing today, man? Thanks for joining us. I'm great. I'm I'm better than my my microphone, which I dropped on its head. You have you have the superior setup to me to me today. So, uh, but I hope I can at least bring some 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 solid and entertaining analysis to your show. Hey, listen, man. On, on this show, you know sometimes these things happen. Whether it's technical <laughs> difficulties or you, you you have no mic, no, it it happens, man. So uh, we always try to make the best of it here. But nevertheless, th- thanks for joining us. On these Knicks, man, we, we got to start it off with, with Julius Randle. He's been the talk of the town. Averaged 28 points, 11 rebounds, four assists in the month of December. You have, um, you know, shooting his, his best effective field goal percentage since he's been on the Knicks. Mid-range, 44%. A career low in turnover percentage. Um, just, just all across the board, Julius Randle is playing outstanding basketball. And to me, that was going to be one of the keys to a successful season for this team was obviously going to be how can Julius, will Julius be able to turn it around after an abysmal season last year? I believe he was like third in his position in effective field goal percentage last year. Now that's up to 60th percentile. What have you seen between last year and this year uh, is the key difference in Julius Randle? Well, he came into the year offensively, I think, really embracing this new role that he's in, right? I mean, they, they bring in Jalen Brunson, and he's just playing off the ball more. His shot selection has changed. I think the shot selection stuff is independent of Jalen Brunson. Uh, you know, I, I, he, he's, and he's good. He's certainly better to start the year than he was last year, but he wasn't playing like he did in December and, and like he is right now. It's reached a new level. 
And if you look at the last few weeks, he actually is, you know, at the start of the year, it was like no long range dues and, and just try to get to the rim and all of that. And if you look at the last few weeks, it's almost like he's found like a nice little middle ground. I think sometimes when you look at players, they have to go to their extremes to test their limits. And then they find a middle ground that's, that's good and comfortable for them. You know what I mean? Like, like Jeremy Grant is a good example of that, where, where Jeremy Grant was in Denver. He was a role player. Uh, he was really kind of catch and shoot on the outside. Every once in a while, he put it on the ground. But he was a, he was a fourth, fifth option inside their, their best lineups and wasn't as much. And then he decides he wants to be a first option. He goes to Detroit, and he is scoring like crazy, but he's not doing it efficiently, and the team isn't winning, and he's not playing winning basketball. And now he's in Portland. He's found a nice middle ground, right? Where he's got a much bigger role than he did in Denver, but he's still with Dame and he's with Anthony Simons and it's a different sort of situation. So what does that have to do with Julius Randle? You might rightfully ask. Uh, I think Randle kind of in a similar way had to go to the extremes of like, I'm never shooting long twos. I'm only shooting threes and at the rim. And now we see him taking more acceptable long twos than he did. You know, like, He's not dribbling around for 14 seconds and shooting a fadeaway for the most part. These are balanced standstill mid-range shots. I think that's why you see the mid-range percentages better. I mean, you mentioned 44 from mid-range. Last year, he was in the low 30s. He was one of the worst uh, you know, high-volume mid-range shooters in the NBA. That's a, it's a really unacceptable number. This year, he's at a really good one again. You know, the, the types of shots can change, even if the locations are, are somewhat similar. I think we're just seeing him as a quicker decision maker, a better decision maker. And look, more shots are going in. Like he's taking more threes and he's shooting, shooting a higher percentage of them. Looks good when the shots go in. Uh, but I think it's kind of a mix of all of that that we're seeing from Randall, sort of him testing his extremes and then realizing, okay, this is the sort of analytically friendly stuff that's going to work the best for me. Yeah. And he is correct. It's working. Yeah, he just seems to be in in a comfort zone and a groove right now that we haven't seen since that All-Star year in 2020-2021 in which a lot of people attributed to no fans in the stands. Right now, you really can't make that argument, man, because the places are packed. The Knicks are are one of five teams with with a above 500 road record. He's a big part of that. Uh, Top of the league in terms of first quarter scoring. So he just seems to be just just in this groove offensively, man, where he's just taking what the defensive is giving him. If he's on a smaller matchup, which in a lot of nights he is, you know, when, when you look at the size and the physicality that he brings to the game, a lot of teams, when they're bringing single coverage at him, it's a smaller, it's, a lot of times it's a, it's a smaller player and he's picking his poison, whether he wants to attack the basket, he's getting a lot, he's drawing a lot of fouls on those rip throughs. So he's doing a good job of really just taking what the defense is giving him and, and using it to his advantage. Yeah, that's another part of it, too. That's a good point. The rip-throughs, man. Like, he's always had that move, but he's going to it like crazy now, yeah. right? Where yeah. he, he – this is an era where a lot of guys who are good at rip-throughs are still good at them, but they're not good at getting them into shooting fouls. Right. Right. Julius, you know, for example, Chris Paul is famous for using a rip-through, right? Yeah. But now, with the way that referees have started calling it in the last five years or so, if Chris Paul goes for a rip-through into a shot, they're going to call it side out. That's right. It's not a shooting foul. It's, it's on the floor. And, and it's great to use in the bonus, and it's great to use when you have a great defender on you or something. They get a hand in, you want to get an extra foul on them. But it's, it's not 
as good as when you can get into a shooting foul. And there's something with Julius. I, I think it's that his, his shooting motion is so quirky. Like they, they see that he will shoot in those sorts of weird, like his legs bent when he's midway in the air and his, his torsos to the side. They'll shoot at these weird, strange angles that like, they can't be like, it's not a shot. Cause he probably would have shot it like that. <laughs> uh, and, and, and if, if you're going to get those fouls, if it's really going to work like it has, I think he has really good recognition of when somebody has a hand in the cookie jar too. Like that's part of it. Like if you put a hand into, you know, above his, above his hand, like he is going to hit it and you are going to get called for a foul. That's just how he's operating now. And again, it comes back to, that's just quick reactions, right? That's quick decision-making. That's noticing this guy's got his hand where it's not supposed to. I'm going up. And, and there are a lot of guys in the league who are, who are awesome at that. Uh, obviously, James Harden. Obviously, Chris Paul. DeMar DeRozan is amazing at that. Uh, there are a lot of guys in the league who are excellent at that. And I think Julius Randle is, is one of them at drawing that specific kind of foul, especially because he just turns them into shooting fouls now. You got to give him credit for that, man. The free throw attempts are up as well. And his shooting foul draw rate and non-shooting foul draw rate are, are up as well. And you can see it on the court. So he's just doing a great job and uh, and really just exposing the defenses and, and being a smarter player. So that that's definitely well-deserved on, on his part. But um, he gives a lot of credit to Jalen Brunson for his improvement this year. And just overall, when you when you look at the starting lineup, Obviously, the, the, the Brunson impact is noticeable. What Quentin Grimes is bringing to this team, R.J. Barrett is certainly before pre-finger injury was was taking another step up. This is, I mean, yes, this team is only hovering around the, the eighth spot, but this is right now, to me, in terms of complementary pieces, the best group that he's played with. When you look at Quickly's maturation coming off of the bench, what the offense is bringing, Mitchell Robinson's maturation as well, I think as a whole, the team is, is allowing him to be a better player as well. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Uh, definitely, definitely the Brunson stuff. You're right. He is, he is very complimentary of Jalen Brunson. And I think he's right, too. I mean, you know, for example, you talk about his turnover rate being down. Well, it's because he doesn't have to initiate as much. Yeah, yeah. Like, his, it's not just that people talk about, well, you have a good point guard, and all of a sudden, your shots are easier. And that's definitely true. But it's not the whole story. It's actually that you have a good point guard and your touches are easier. Right. Like, he has a good point guard who sets him up in a good situation, not just to shoot. Because the point of basketball isn't just create something and then pass it out, and then that person you pass it to takes a shot. It's you create something, you pass it to somebody, and that person you pass it to makes a decision. Mm -hmm. They cut or they go into another action, or they shoot, or they pass, or whatever. And it is easier to make that decision right now because of the way Jalen Brunson sets everybody up. I mean, look at how the offense played in those games that Brunson wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah, they, they scored some points. Like, they scored some points against Houston. Mm-hmm. It was Houston, but they scored some points against Houston. But just look at the offensive process. I mean, it was quickly and it was Randall taking all of the shots. And Randall played well because he's just playing incredible basketball right now. He played well. I don't think he needs Jalen Brunson to play well at this point. But for the team to play well, 
I mean, Jalen Brunson just makes everybody's job so much easier. He's, he's just so competent in terms of the way that he organizes everything. And I think that has a profound effect on Julius Randle and just about everybody else, to be honest. No question about it. And we're talking to Fred Katz, who covered the, covers the Knicks for The Athletic. And on the, on the Randle front, his mental approach to the game, what have you seen? You know, last year was a tough year for him. He had the thumbs-down incident with the fans. I remember there was a game prior to the thumbs-down incident, I, I believe it was against the Pacers, where I think he either got an N one, he fell on the floor, and then he was jawing at somebody in the crowd. It just seemed like there, there was just a lot of uh, distractions for him. The vibes were bad. The vibes were bad. They were, they were bad. Yeah. Yeah. But this year, it, it, it just seems like he, he's in a better place mentally. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, look, I, I've had conversations with NBA players before hmm. who have warned me. Whenever a guy is playing weirdly uncharacteristically for a long time, stop looking at the basketball. Hmm. Just don't stop. Stop looking at what's wrong with his jump shot. Stop looking at what's he doing with his footwork just is probably something that has nothing to do with basketball. Uh, And yeah, the vibes were just weird last year. I mean, there was, there was the, the fine, which technically went to the team where he didn't, he didn't talk to the media for seven consecutive games Mm -hmm. uh, after Uh, there was, yeah, there was the thumbs down incident. There was, and it was just weird behind the scenes vibes too. Like they just weren't very good. And, and this year, I think he's come in with a very, just a, a completely different attitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting seeing how he performed last year. I wouldn't have guessed that he was going to so willingly take a role change, right? Mm-hmm. Like the question when Kemba came in, right. part of the reason they brought in Kemba and Evan Fournier was to take some of the ball handling burden off of Julius Randle. Now, it didn't work, mm-hmm. but those were the intentions, right? And maybe it was because Randall just recognized these guys aren't as good as me. And so they're not going to take the ball handling burden off of me. And it's not technically wrong if that was what his thought process was. But, you know, he didn't necessarily relinquish any of those duties that we're talking about. You know, their crunch time offense was still kind of run a pick and roll for Julius. He's Mm going to go to the nail and then he's going to post a guy up, face a guy up, and take a bad shot, and, and that's going to be it. I didn't necessarily expect him to so willingly, he's not taking a back seat, but just so willingly change his role uh, in terms of more catch-and-shoot stuff, more threes, less mid-range, less off the dribble. Uh, when you touch the ball, you're not going to touch it for as long. Quicker decisions, right. all that stuff. Uh, running the floor more. Um, and, and you know what, over these last 15-ish games, playing much harder defensively. Yeah. I just, I didn't see all of those things changing so enthusiastically uh, and so willingly. It's like there was no resistance on his part. And that stuff helps. It, when you play looser, when you, when you welcome the change, good things are, are, can happen. And right now he is showing that. I mean, he's, for sure, I don't know if he's going to make the all-star team, but he's definitely one of the people you have to mention when you talk about, you know, possible Eastern Conference all-stars. 
It's a tough one, man, because as you mentioned, All-Star, I kind of wrote down the, the guys who I think are locks, right? Obviously, it's the Greek freak. Uh, Embiid. I've got Katie, Donovan Mitchell, Siakam, Tatum and Brown. I got to put Kyrie in there. I think Kyrie is, is definitely deserving. Um, yeah, I think I agree with you. On the court. You know, Halliburton. I've got yeah. Halliburton there. Now, not a fake All-Star. Not a fake All-Star. <laughs> so, I've got, I've got 10 so far. Right, I got nine so far, rather, and twelve make the team. You want to put the Rosen in there, Beal? You got to talk about Bam as well. Heat, Heat is certainly surging after a slow start. It's gonna be tough, man, but I think Randall deserves to be in there. If you're gonna put him in that in that borderline with with Demar and Beal, I got to give him the edge for how his team is played and how he's impacting those wins. I, I think it's tough, man, but I still got to give him the edge and get him in there. Yeah. Did, did you say Donovan Mitchell also? Yes, I did. Or did yeah. I? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I was going to say, he, he's getting in there. I mean, there are yeah. some other guys too. I mean, Jimmy, J, Jimmy Butler yeah. has an argument. Uh, I think James Harden has an argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously he's not the player that he used to be, but the, the dude is still like a really good point guard and has absolutely yeah. massive games. I think. Darius Garland has an argument. Mm-hmm. I think Drew Holiday has an argument. And there are a lot of lot of guys who have a chance of getting in. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, uh, Beal with Washington. Yeah, I think there is a case to be made for a former Nick who happens to play for the Washington <laughs> Wizards as well. You put you put a great year. Julius Porzingis is having a good year, man. I hate to admit it, but he's having. A good- I the the only reason that I would argue for Porzingis over Julius is just to see the reaction on this podcast. <laughs> if that were to happen, that would, that would be the one reason I would advocate it for. Across the exactly. Knicks emergency podcast I, everywhere. I, I think seeing Nick's Twitter just react to that would, would be worth it. Even if it's not technically the right basketball decision. No question. Uh, unfortunately I have, I have a little, a little bit too much journalistic integrity to let that <laughs> determine my vote if I get one, but, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind it. It would be yeah. unbelievably funny. Uh, I would say Julius has a really good argument over Beal. The thing that Julius has going for him with All Star mm. is quantity. Uh, he has played what the third or fourth most minutes in the NBA right now. Mm-hmm. You know, a guy like Beal has been hurt. Uh, James Harden. Is missing time. Like it's quantity matters. People crap on quantity. Guess what? It matters. More of a good thing is a better thing. Yeah, right. That's right. that's how it works. These aren't these aren't cookies. It's not like once you, once you eat two of them, you're like, oh no, I got to start really worrying about the calories now. Right. No, more more of a good thing is a better thing. Mm-hmm. If I told you you can make a hundred thousand dollars a year or a million dollars a year. You wouldn't be like, oh no, I don't want the quantity. Yeah, right. I don't right. want the quantity. You'll you'll take the million. More of a good thing is a better thing. And Julius Randle doing having really, really, really good production over a lot of time where he's been available in a in a league, by the way, when no one is consistently available anymore. Right. I mean, he's played in every game. Right. Uh it's it's impressive. By the way, Jalen Brunson is in the conversation too. Sure. I think there is an argument for Brunson over Julius Randle for the exact reason that we just discussed where like 
part of Randall's credit, the produ- the credit for Randall's production, part of it has to go to Brunson. Yeah. Like Brunson is the guy who makes everything in that offense tick. Mm-hmm. And and Randall for you know how good he's been lately, the first 15, 18 games, whatever it was, defensively, he was, you know, really one of their biggest defensive culprits during that slow defensive start that they got off to. And it's changed since. And I don't think that it all disqualifies him, but it should be part of the conversation for sure. But yeah, he's been he's been really, really good. I don't know if he gets in. Like he's averaging, you know, what, 20, 23 a game or whatever. Uh, and that's like 20th in the NBA. He's like 10th or 9th or 11th, whatever it is, in the Eastern Conference in scoring. You know, we, we're conditioned to see 23 points a game. We're like, damn, that's really good. Right. And now it's like, yeah, it's really good, but we, we have to remove the damn because everyone is scoring like crazy this year. Everyone's scoring like crazy, man. <laughs> I, I think the stat is there's uh, 88 players have scored 40-plus this year already, and the, I believe the record is, uh, that's insane. is 142 back in 1961. Yeah, I was looking at it yesterday afternoon, yeah. and 50, 54 players in the league are averaging 20 points a game. Yeah. 54. Crazy. That used to be like, oh, you're averaging 20. You're right in the conversation for this. And now yeah. it's like they could double the size of the All-Star team and still not get every yeah. player averaging 20 snubs. into the All-Star game. Still yeah. have snubs, man. It's incredible, the 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 offensive talent that, that we have in this league. Uh, we're talking to Fred Katz, who covers the Knicks for the Athletic. You know, Fred, you, you talked about the Knicks defense just a little while ago, and we got to talk about the anchor of this defense, a guy who Julius Randle gives a lot of credit to, and that is Mitchell Robinson. We talk about durability, he's only missed eight games. Um, third overall in offensive rebounding percentage. Second overall. Fifth in blocks. I mean, from his pick-and-roll coverage, his tenacity at the rim, his rebounding. You know, Mitchell Robinson is so important for this team. And his durability has been important as well. And another, another area I got to give him credit for is his discipline, especially when it comes to fouling. I mean, October, November, he was averaging about 3.2 personal fouls. December, he's down to 2.6. A disciplined Mitchell Robinson, man. I'm loving what he's bringing to this team right now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, the fouling is a good point. He was over fouling a lot at the beginning of the year, getting yeah. into foul trouble. He's a huge reason why the defense has changed. He's a huge reason why the defensive rebounding has changed. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think he's better than ever. I really do. Uh, people think of him as a rim protector. But the pick and roll defense has been really good. One thing that he's so good at is using his length to he's so long that he's actually able to use one hand to kind of deter a driving lane. Like when they'll, they'll say they'll, they'll use drop coverage or something in a pick and roll and a guy will come around a screen and he'll kind of have a leg up on his defender. And now Mitch has one big man rolling to the rim and one guy with the ball going downhill. Mitch will have one hand basically deterring a driving lane and another hand deterring a passing lane. Because yeah. he just takes up the whole court because he's so long. And that's where the discipline comes in. Mm-hmm. I think young Mitch would try to block shots in oh, those situations. Everything. Yeah. Yep. Leave his feet. Leave his feet. I have, uh, I, have, I have a good buddy who somehow in NBA 2K, when we would play as kids, became amazing. He would just pump fake all of us. And that was all he... <laughs> Tried to do, it became a shtick. And once he got us to pump fake and and got us in the air, he would say, lose your feet, lose the game. Every <laughs> single time. And it just became a bit. Yeah, yeah. It was just lose your feet, lose the game. <laughs> it's a pretty good chance he's going to listen to this podcast. Yeah. But I, you know, Mitch would lose his feet and lose the game yeah. all the time. And we just... Don't really see it. The discipline is so much better. That's part of the reason why the fouls, as you mentioned, are down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he is using his length and his athleticism for a lot of good. I think he's found a nice middle ground on uh, being bulky, but not too bulky as well, where he's able to be really strong at the rim now. Uh, but but I think last year he came in, and he admits this, he came in, he came in too bulky, too big. not necessarily like in bad shape, but just not in the type of shape that he needed to be in. You know, like he's so springy and athletic. And when you put on too much muscle, you lose some of that. And, and it, it, I think, definitely affected his effectiveness uh, coming into the start of last year. So I, I think he's been way better. And, and meanwhile, like, I don't know, I was talking to somebody in the league who works for another team recently. and. He told me that they were having a meeting and they were talking about how uh, they think Mitchell Robinson is the best offensive rebounder since Dennis Rodman. Mm. Wow. Uh, There are times when I don't know if I agree with that take, but it kind of blew my mind to hear a smart NBA person say that that a team internally was just kind of, they were just kind of casually having that conversation in the office. Yeah. Yeah. see how crazy Mitch has risen as an offensive rebounder. I mean, there are times when the Knicks offense is struggling and their best chance to score is with a missed shot. Yeah. 
And it's, it is wild to see him be so relentless and get a hand on everything. And it's exhausting to guard. It, it's, it's exhausting. You just don't really have, I, I think it really has to have an effect on guys in a fourth quarter when you've just been, sometimes getting a rebound can be a reprieve, you know? Every rebound against the Knicks is contested by Mitch, even if you end up getting it. So it's, it's got to be exhausting. Yeah. No question. And, and and you watch these games, you've seen teams throwing three guys in the box on them, you know, three, four guys try to gang rebound over him. And he's just using his length and athleticism. Some guys just have that knack for the ball. Right. But, you know, in watching the Knicks, the guy that was always great at that for me was David Lee. He was just always know where the ball was going to bounce and, and can always get to it. But for Mitch, as you said, and, and I said this erroneously earlier, he, he's second behind Steven Adams in offensive rebounding percentage and third overall in offensive rebounds. But even if he's not scoring, the ability to get the team's second chance points in which they're leading the league, despite the fact that they're near league lows in effective field goal percentage, they're like 25th. The second chance opportunities that he provides is major, major for this team. Yeah, you know what else it does? It helps their transition defense, which has been a problem this year. So they need all the help they can get. And the reason why is because, like you said, teams have to – you can't just have your center box out Mitch and then let a few guys try to leak out and beat the other team down the floor. What teams often have to do – because Mitch is going to beat that center. So often what teams will do is they'll throw one to two – they'll throw like two or three – guys at Mitch trying to just get him out of the picture so that somebody can get the rebound and that they can go up. But because they're throwing two or three guys at Mitch, that's two or three guys going in the opposite direction of leaking out in transition because they're running back to try to get the rebound. So it just limits the amount of fast break points the Knicks are giving up. It allows them to match up better in transition so that, you know, on the secondary break, a team can't take advantage of a mismatch or something like that. Uh, That kind of stuff has a direct correlation to how you're going to defend as well, even though if you look at it in isolation, it actually has nothing to do with defense at all. Uh, so, so there's a lot of like Mitch-like ripple effects that, that I think really help the team. And if you look at the advanced numbers, by the way, a lot of the advanced numbers are very pro-big man, and they really reward rebounding, and I think too much. But if you look at the advanced numbers, and you look at the just the regular old plus minus stuff as well. Like they'll tell you Mitch is really, really important. And and that is some a sentiment that I don't disagree with. I think he is really important. Yeah, no, no question. Uh another guy who I feel like is very important to this team, and since he's been inserted into the starting lineup, I think the the whole defense changed is Quentin Grimes. Because he's the guy he's guarding the best player. He had the career high against Dallas of 33 points. He's been a floor spacer for the team. The three-point shot is starting to come along. And the thing about him that I, that I love the most, he, he was definitely my player to watch. Year two, Quentin Grimes, and how he was going to impact this team. It's not just the three and D, right? So, because to me, he has a high floor. But what we've been seeing as of late is his ability to attack closeouts, put the ball on the floor, make plays, extend the offense. You see a lot of those wraparound passes that he makes to Mitch in the paint. His ability as a passer has been coming along very strong as of late. And, and you know, when I spoke to him at Summer League, he told me that's what one of the things that he wanted to work on with, uh, with, with Penny Hardaway and Coach Perk 
What's been your impressions of, of Quentin Grimes? And you also wrote a, a nice piece on, on Grimes uh, just last week or so about his approach to the game. Well, what's been your impressions of Grimes? Thanks, man. Appreciate that. I, uh, I'm, I'm looking to my right right now because I'm looking for a Tibbs quote. You mentioned Grimes attacking closeouts. Uh, I actually asked Tibbs about that after the game on, what day was the game? Wednesday. I'm on, it's Wednesday today, so I asked him about it on Monday. Monday against and uh, yes, exactly. Where where Grimes had some really great plays, and it just feels like when teams run him off the three point line, and it might have something to do with the way that teams close out on him too, because they think of him as such a shooter, and they don't worry about the drive yet. And once teams face him a third, fourth time, they're going to get used to not getting blown by. It'll be a little more difficult for him. But it really does feel like every single time someone closes out on him and he attacks closeout, he blows by his defender. Yeah. Like, like every time. And I asked that to Tibbs. Uh, I started it off. I, I, I said to him, you know, if, if, if you lined up every player in the NBA and just had them do a 100-yard dash, Quentin's not going to win the 100-yard dash. And Tibbs interrupted me and said, how do you know that? <laughs> and I was like, I guess I don't know that. <laughs> probably never going to see that, but bear with me. That's fair. Yeah. I don't know that, but I'm guessing he wouldn't win that. Ish Smith would win that, by the way. <laughs> but, but he does seem like he blows by his defender All the time. more than any other player yeah. in the NBA. Like, it feels like he has 100% blow-by rate. Uh, and, and I thought Tibbs' answer after he was toying with me, it was actually pretty interesting. Um, he, he said, when you look at quickness, it's both mental and physical. So it's anticipating what's coming. Who's closing to me? How are they closing to me? And, he, and then he said, uh, he maybe doesn't look like a great athlete, but he is a great athlete. But I think the mind and his quickness to anticipate and to read is what makes him really good. Uh, I thought it was a really interesting answer because I do think the most interesting thing about Grimes similar to Obi Toppin, is how quick of a decision maker he is at such a young age. Like, he, he never holds on to the ball and doesn't look like he knows what to do. It's the ball comes, and it is immediate. Uh, you know, Phoenix has, has a saying at point, point fives, which is you want to make a decision within half a second. You wanna, if you're shooting, you should know within half a second. If you're passing, know within half a second. If you're driving, know within half a section. If you're second, if you have to pull back out and go into a new action, know within half a second. And you see offenses that move seamlessly, you know, invoke those principles. Grimes could fit in an offense like that. You know, he very well. That's how he operates. And I think that's kind of what Tibbs is saying there, right? It's like he knows what he is going to do and he makes the decision quickly and he's really good at it. It's, it's a great trait to have. And it's why I think he basically fits into any kind of offense that you need beyond just the fact that he's a shooter who can defend. Uh, it's really encouraging when you see a 22-year-old who makes decisions like that. Yeah, and, and Stephen Curry, he was, he was quoted as, as liking it in, as a grenade. You know, you, you got to make a decision, get rid of it. And, and that's how he likened uh, Steve Kerr's offense. Willie Green gets credited for that with the way New Orleans is running things as well. And, and you're right, man. Just Grimes is quick decision making. It, it's helping everybody in, 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 all over, all across the, the offense. 
it's it's been a pleasure to watch, especially because he had to start off slow with the foot injury, but seems like he's uh he, it seems like he's 100% healthy the way he's moving out there. So definitely good to see. And once again, we're talking to Fred Katz of the Athletic who covers the Knicks. Now, Fred, as we record this this episode, you know, Knicks are currently within that top 10 offensively, defensively, seventh in net rating. So when we look at Tom Thibodeau, it's just interesting because for me covering the post-game shows and covering the team nightly basis and hearing from the fans from a nightly basis, you still have the, the Tibbs detractors. They got to move on from him. They got to move on. He's not the coach of this team. He doesn't adjust this, that, and the third. But here we are with this team, top 10, offense, defense, seventh in net rating. He made the, the nine-man rotation change at 10 and five since then as, at the time of this recording. How do you look at Tibbs right now with this team? They are so weird, man. I wrote, I wrote a story that published just before we started recording uh, about exactly that. They're, uh, they're 11th in points per possession right now. They are 7th in points allowed per possession. And they're 8th in point differential per possession. That is a really good profile. And they're top, so they're top 11 in offense, top 11 in defense. And that sounds like a gerrymandered sort of <laughs> cutoff just because the Knicks are 11th. Right. But it's, it's actually not. Uh, if you look at until last year when the Warriors won, if you look at the last 17 champions, all of them were top 11 in both offense and defense during the regular season. The Warriors were middle of the pack last year in offense, but they're the exact type of team that's the exception, right? Like they... They obviously they had a new gear and they were getting Clay Thompson back, which made a huge difference, clearly. Right. And they have Stephen Curry and they have championship DNA and three rings and they had non-switch and they knew it. So, like, you know, obviously they're the exception. What's shown over the last 17 years, and by the way, the team 18 years ago that won was was Detroit, which is yeah. thought of as a remarkable exception team because they didn't right. have a good offense, right? Mm-hmm. And before that was the 0-1 Lakers, who Lakers. famously didn't play yeah. defense in the regular season because they mailed it in and they were right. repeat camps. And so, like, there are reasons we see these exceptions. Mm-hmm. If you're top 11, you're a title. You're, you're, you're in that conversation. And the teams in the top 11 in both offense and defense right now are the Boston Celtics, who have the best record in the NBA, the Brooklyn Nets, who have the second best record in the NBA, New Orleans Pelicans, who are one game back of first place in the Western Conference, the Cleveland Cavaliers, who have elite scoring guards and top-notch paint protection with Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. Uh, they're number one ranked defense, and they have a duty to just drop 71 points. And by the way, Cleveland could totally make a run to the conference finals, I think. Yeah. I don't see why not. Yeah. And it's those four teams, plus the Knicks. <laughs> they're so weird, and yet they're just treading 500. Yeah. And it's like... That is a profile that if you look at everything but the record, that is supposed to be a title contending profile. Right. Now, the Knicks are on the bottom part of it, right? They're, they're seventh in, in defense and they're 11th in offense. It's not like they're, you know, fourth and seventh or something. Yeah. Or, yeah, exactly. They're on the bottom part of it. But even so, like, the argument here is not like the Knicks should be a title contender. It's just that profile says they should be better than 20 and 18. Uh, and, and, and you look at some of the ends of game stuff, and it's like, if Luca doesn't get one offensive rebound, if uh, DeMar has 
one shot that just hits the back of the rim. Oh, yeah, yeah. If Jalen Brunson in that Portland game hits that floater at the buzzer yeah. instead of it rimming out, they're 23 and 15. And then we're like, whoa, the Knicks are vastly overplaying expectations. Yeah. So it's been really weird trying to evaluate that. I, I know you asked about Tibbs. I, I do think with Tibbs, he's done a much better job than he did last year. Mm-hmm. And there's been, you know, the, you know, I think the, the offensive scheme stuff kind of is what it is. But he's also like, look, I talked about Julius Randle revamping shot selection. Like, so is Tibbs. They have, they have one of the most analytically friendly shot profiles in the NBA, and I mm-hmm. think that's a big reason why they're in the top third of the league in offense in spite of the fact that they don't have much three-point shooting. They take good shots as a right. team as a whole. I think they take the fewest long twos of any team in the NBA, and the guys who take long twos are the ones who should be taking long twos. They're, they're, they're Brunson and, and Julius, and that's about it. Uh, they guard hard. They play hard. Uh, they have an identity now. I think every player is, is aware of his own role. Um, you know, it's, it's hard for me to look at guys who are in the rotation currently and say about really any of them, oh, that guy should be playing much better. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. So, right. so overall, I think, I think he's done, done an okay job. I mean, I, I don't really understand why it has to be all or nothing with so many of these guys. Like why Evan Fournier, for the most part, either can start or can't play at all. And then it takes a month and a half for him to get back into the rotation. Or, uh, you know, there are certain, certain Tibbs tendencies that I don't, I don't quite get and he doesn't care to explain himself for. Um, but overall, I mean, I think the team's about where it should be and the profile says they should be a little bit better. So this next month's going to be real interesting. Because they have a pretty yeah. easy schedule for the next three weeks. The deadline's in five weeks. How is that going to, how are they going to handle things if they're seven over 500 or something? Like it's going to be, that'll be interesting. Yeah. You, you know what it is? I, I think with the fans, especially longtime Knicks fans, we're just so used to things falling apart at some point within regimes, right? Completely falling apart, whether the locker room is exploding or there's politics in, in the front office that's lead to somebody getting fired or the coaches lost the locker room. So we're, just, we're, we're always just waiting for that shoe to fall. Like, what is the, the final domino that's going to be the nail in the coffin? I looked at the, 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 the game that they barely won in Philly with no Harden and Embiid and just seems like the team had kind of almost let go of the rope. The game against OKC where they gave up 145 at home and a lot of fans thought, is this going to be it for Tibbs? Is this the death knell? Now you look at it, OKC uh, drops 150 on the Celtics with no say Gilgis Alexander. So it just seems to be part of the uh, high scoring NBA. But, you know, we're always just, just looking for that shoe to fall and we're not looking at this season as a marathon and not a sprint. Because if you look around the league, these other teams going through their peaks and valleys. You know, the Celtics started off red hot. Now they've kind of come back and regressed to the mean a little bit. They're going through their struggles. The Heat have started from the bottom. Now they're coming on, on the rise, coming up. Golden State going through their injuries and, and in the bottom of, of the West, the Lakers and so on. So every team is kind of going through you know, trying to figure things out, trying to find themselves and, and see who they really are before they make that that final second half push. So I just think that's kind of where that, that PTSD from the fans comes from. But with Tibbs, for me, I just question 
with the nine-man rotation, yes, it's, it's working now. I think they need some more bench scoring. We'll see what happens when, when Obi comes back. The Hartenstein and Sims thing seems to have worn out its welcome after the first few experiments. And then I just think it's just a little too rigid. Like you said, with the, with the Fournier situation, you know, why is it an all-or-nothing situation? Because I, I look at a guy like McBride who loves his defensive effort and intensity, but offensively he, he, he gives you nothing to, to me. And so I, I look at Fournier, I look at Reddish, and I'm just like, you know, why is it that the doors are slammed on these guys when you may need to make an in-game adjustment where you may need Fournier's offense as he's provided against the Rockets and the Suns and, so, and, and San Antonio, or you may need the length of, of a Reddish and, and the athleticism to match up against the Siakams of the world. I, I just don't like how the door is just locked on the rotation as it stands right now. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I totally get that. I think that makes sense. Uh, it's, it's a place where it requires a player to be extra much, like extra professional. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where I don't think it's unprofessional to lose confidence when you're so deep in the doghouse. I think it can be unprofessional to lose confidence when you're so deep in the doghouse. And I think you can get so deep in the doghouse by being unprofessional. But I don't think, okay, a guy lost confidence when he got benched and couldn't play no matter what, and thus he's not a professional. I don't think that's the case. I think from everything that I've seen and everything that I've heard, it seems like Fournier has just, he's at that level. Mm -hmm. He's been kind of a pro's pro the whole time. uh, And he's still working out. You know, you watch him. When he was out of the rotation for a month and a half, I'd watch his... One of the things I like to do is I like to watch guys' pregame routines. Mm-hmm. That's something I learned from scouts, where scouts will get there really... Other team scouts will get there really, really early, and they'll watch guys' pregame routines because you can see stuff in a pregame routine you don't necessarily see in a game. Uh, you see what they, what they like to work on, and you can also see how hard they go through their, their, their stuff. Mm-hmm. And Fournier, if you watch his pregame routine, like... He's going at game speed, even when he knows he is not. Now he's playing. But even when he knew that he wasn't playing, like, he's going at game speed. Like, he was treating that pregame routine like his, like his game. And I promise you, you know who pays attention to that stuff? Tom Thibodeau. Tibbs. I hmm. absolutely guarantee you that he pays attention to all of that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, and... I think that's why, you know, every once in a while you watch a Cam Reddish routine. He's kind of pregame and he's kind of going through the motions at times. You know, it's we, like it's we've a had fans thing. call in and say the same, man. They didn't, they weren't so uh, complimentary of Cam's pregame energy, pregame routine. Yeah. And, and so I think all that stuff starts to add up, yeah. you know, it starts to add up. And, and I agree that I don't think you need to live on such extremes. I think there's nuance to everything. But I don't think it's a coincidence that the one guy who we've seen never get out of the doghouse is Radish. Mm-hmm. I, I, just, I just don't think that that's a coincidence. Um, you know, Fournier is playing again, and I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he stuck. Great. It's going to be really interesting when Obi comes back. It sounds yeah. like he's getting a little closer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, it's going to be really interesting to see if Fournier keeps playing because uh, he gives them some shooting that they, they could use. I mean, part of the reason that he got benched was because he just wasn't 
playing as well as he was last year. Think of the version of Evan Fournier from last season. It's a different kind of conversation if they get the one who was shooting 34% to start this one. So, uh, you know, I'm with you. The, the extremes are weird, but also, like, he, Tibbs is consistent in what he's looking for. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, he is, he, there's no, there should be no confusion as to what Tibbs is looking for in those sorts of, you know, he, he, he wants a guy like Miles McBride. Yeah. Doesn't care if Miles McBride is going to miss every shot. He is going to go out there and you know that his energy is going to be insane yeah. and his defense is going to be ridiculous and that absolutely no one is going to play harder than him or work harder than him. Like you just, he knows that. And he's not the only coach who's like that, but he is definitely a extreme version of that. And by the way, it's not an all, I'm, I'm just rambling now, but he's, it's not all a bad thing, by the way. Like, I think it's pretty good that all of the Knicks young guys are really try hard, defensive minded uh, guys who like care about the gritty work. I think that's a pretty damn good culture to have. So there's a weird side to it, which you get when guys are just on the bench, not being able to come out. And then there's a side to it where you're like, Oh, well that's pretty encouraging when you have, you know, say McBride and, and quickly and, and, uh, and, uh, and Grimes on the floor together. And that's an undersized backcourt and they're all 23 or younger. And you would think that it shouldn't be really, really good defensively because they have a size disadvantage and the age disadvantage they're getting after. and they're freaking pests mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, you know, that, that comes from that same part of the culture. You know what I mean? Yeah. No question about it. And we're talking to Fred Katz who covers the Knicks for the athletic uh, final question for you, Fred, as, as we enter this midway point, trade deadline is coming up in February. And this team, I would have to assume that Leon wants to be buyers, although we've heard that Fournier's name is on this uh, uh, trading block, Cam Reddish. We've heard Quickly's name be on the trading block. Where do you see them going here uh, at, at the trade deadline? I'm not sure. Part of the reason I wrote that story today about kind of their, their profile and where they rank on offense and defense versus their record is because it's going to, you know, we're like five weeks away from the deadline and it's going to be really interesting to see how they evaluate themselves. Like, do they think that they're a 500 team or do they think, you know what, this says that we're better because that could affect how they go about the deadline. Now, I don't think they're going to go out there and trade like two first round picks for a guy in an expiring contract. They've shown that they, they're not into impulse buys and they're not into future compromising moves. They, their grand plan is still to save up these draft picks for, for a star. And I think that's what we're going to end up seeing, you know, the, a similar sort of attempt that, that they had on Donovan Mitchell, but on somebody else. And, uh, and, and so I don't think they're going to end up doing some sort of rental with their draft picks. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, they are always very aggressive on the phones. Like they really are uh, really curious to see what happens with quickly. They've played yeah. so well, uh, you know, since they started to, to listen to offers for him and, and make phone calls about him. And he has been such a huge part of that, whether he's shooting the ball well or not. Right. And I just, I wonder how that affects their process in those conversations or if they are less willing to have those conversations now and in February than they were in 
November when the team was kind of floundering a little bit. Uh, so, so uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not totally sure. I, I think they could definitely use another shooter. I think yeah. you could argue uh, they could use like a, a wing who can shoot, but you know, who couldn't? Like, if you could throw uh, a guy who could defend and shoot in, say, the McBride role, yeah, I think that would be a really helpful upgrade for them. Maybe a guy with a little bit more size. And then you have him next to RJ and you've got some size on the wing in your bench units. Yeah. But there's a reason that guys who can shoot and defend are hard to find. Right. Right. Yeah. That, that's Everybody needs them. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see because like with the quickly thing, it's what are they looking for? And then now, but also how are they positioning themselves in the future? Because you're going to have to pay quickly. You're going to have to pay Obi. A Quentin Grimes decision will need to be made in a few years. And so with all these draft picks that they have on the horizon and then what they have now in their young core, it's just going to be interesting to see, Do is everybody going to stick around? You know, I don't see it, but then it's like, do you trade it quickly for a future pick and punt for the future? That's a hard sell for the fans, man, based on how he's helping his team right now. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it definitely is a hard sell. I, I think it, I don't think they were ever just like giving away quickly. Especially after the way last summer went, where their protected picks turned out not to be some sort of, uh, their, their protected picks weren't looked at as gold, you know? Like the Donovan Mitchell trade was decided by unprotected picks. You know, Cleveland was willing to give up three unprotected first rounders Mm. and the Knicks were not. And that's what decided the Donovan Mitchell deal. Uh, So, so I don't think they were necessarily like, like they were, they weren't going to trade quickly for just like a future top 20 protected first rounder. I don't think that was going to be the case. It wasn't going to be like the pick they gave up for Cam Reddish or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it, if they were going to do it, it was going to be for a good first round pick. Now, I don't know how they necessarily define good. I don't know what their limits were, but I'm with you. If they just remove quickly from the roster, I think it's a hard sell because they're, they're also not trying to be worse. That's the thing. They, they, they don't want to drop from seven to 10. They don't want to drop into the lottery. Like they want to make the playoffs. They want to be competitive. Part of their plan is to, to make themselves into a desirable location. So a star says, I want to go there. And a star isn't going to say that about a 13 seed. So they don't want to get worse. And no matter what you think of Emmanuel quickly as a player, whether you think that you know he dribbles too much and doesn't shoot a high enough percentage to be a starter, or you think he's a, a point guard, or you think he's a, an off guard, or whatever, no matter what you think of his actual role, like he's a good basketball player who helps you win basketball games. Yeah. Uh, so so giving him away for something that, that might not help as much, I don't think was, was ever necessarily the plan. I think it was to try to get something of actual value back. And maybe if you can trade quickly for, for, for something that can really help you, uh, then maybe that's something they'll still consider. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be really interesting because there aren't a ton of quickly deals that I can just imagine yeah. that, that are going to fit what they're trying to do after how important he's, he's proven to be this year. Yeah, no question. Especially, you know, if you're looking at on the flip side of the table, a team that would ultimately have to look to pay him once his, once his rookie deal is up. So it, it, I think it is a tricky trade. Uh, there are some names I like out there. I don't know how much a Bogdanovich will, will cost from, from Detroit. 
Uh, he was a guy that Detroit got on the cheap, but he he could be in demand right now. We'll see if the Lakers go after him. I like Clarkson as well from Utah, man, because I, I think the Knicks could use some more consistent scoring punch. I don't know if that would come in at an expensive or quickly, but I, I do like it, Clarkson, even though I don't see the Knicks and the Jazz doing coming back to the table on any deal. That might be tough. That might be tough. That that might, that be, might tough. be tough. Yeah, I mean, the thing with, with quickly, too, is like, He's their he's their best positional defender on the perimeter. He's such a good, good help defender now. Uh, he's such a we talk about quick decision makers. That's another mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. He's such a quick decision maker on defense, and he tries really freaking hard. But it's not just because he plays hard. Like he is a ridiculously smart defender, and he's he's good on the ball too. But off the ball, he's really good, uh, and, and that is important especially with the Tom Thibodeau defense, which puts such a heavy burden on the weak side defender when the ball hits the paint. Because that guy has to dig into the lane and then scurry back out to the corner in order to close out when the ball gets kicked back out. You need guys who play really, really hard, who are really, really well conditioned, so they don't get tired because that's a lot of running and a lot of agility, who are really quick, like he is, and who are just smart enough to know where they're supposed to be and when they're supposed to be there. And and quickly checks all of those boxes as a defender there. I think it's a big reason why their defense has been as good as it has for the last, you know, however many games it's been where they're top 10 in the league in defense. I, I, I think, I just think he's, he's kind of hard to replace because he's got such a weird, weird profile of things that he is good at now. He's almost flipped himself into the reverse of what he was when he was a rookie, right? When we were like, oh, but if he's not scoring, yeah. he's not giving you much. Right now it's and now it's like oh if only he could score he'd give you everything you know it's, yeah it's yeah very weird yeah weird indeed man so time will tell uh but but Fred I, I really enjoy the, this conversation man I appreciate you for checking in with us at the mid season report just who these Knicks are we'll, we'll see what happens man as the season progresses but Fred uh, once again great job great job with what you're doing at the Athletic covering this team and uh, let's catch up down the road man thanks again for joining us. Yeah, so happy to be on. You do a great job here. So thank you for having me.